0: garden church podcast the following message was previously recorded at the garden church in downtown Long Beach California
1: thousand years now Christmas has been the day that we celebrate as in the Christian tradition uh, the birth of Jesus Christ um, for many of us this is good news and we know this as good news. And uh, some of us are, are new to the faith or just kind of showing up to hear. And I, I want to welcome everyone. We're so glad you're here. Gardeners, that, you, know, you guys come regularly on Sunday. You're here on a Tuesday night. Welcome. Those of you, I saw a lot of visitors. Those of you that are family members, friends, you've been invited, coerced, forced, bribed to show up tonight. We're glad you're here too. Whatever the, the outcome is, we're so glad to be with you this, this evening. Um, and I... I get the privilege of just sharing the good news of what today or really tomorrow, really uh, what we're celebrating on Christmas. And we talk about Christmas and, you know, the story we've just read or heard uh, is the story from Luke's gospel, um, in which I talked about on Sunday. I talked about a different type of Christmas story. Um, But this evening, I thought I would just share with you some significant um, the significance of Christmas and from a different perspective, I suppose, from a perspective that uh, looks not just at the significance of a a king being born in a barn and a savior being born in uh, and placed in a a feeding trough, but something different. I thought I would maybe share with you a a bigger story, if you would, Um, because Christmas is the ultimate expression of God's loving pursuit of humanity. Christmas is the ultimate expression of God's loving pursuit of humanity. You see, God longs to be with you and I. He, he desires to be an intimate relationship with us. And the story of the Bible, the story of the scriptures, is not mankind's search for God. It is not some uh, religious system or rules that were set up to get someplace else. This isn't, as one of my friends have, have called it, a, the Bible, uh, basic instructions before leaving earth. It's not that. It is far greater than that. And the story of the Bible is God's pursuit of us. So I thought I'd just spend 15 minutes. That's all I'm going to do is spend a few minutes talking and then we'll, we'll sing some more songs. But really, I just want to tell you the story of God, which is one giant love story in, in, in the effect of, of Christmas. So if you have a Bible, we're going to just bounce around through a couple of verses. And you know me that every story in the Bible starts in Genesis. So go to Genesis. Chapter one, if you don't know that, um, that's just the way I teach Genesis chapter three, actually. And I just want to share with you the love story that we find in um, the gospel of of Matthew, but it's all throughout the scripture. So, um, first of all, for those of you that are new to this, let me just give you my take on the story of the Bible in 10 minutes, and then we're going to get out of here. The story is this. God creates the universe, everything in it. He creates all the animals, all the, the livestock, the birds, the, the whales, the fish, the dogs. And somebody else created the cats. We don't know who those are, but he definitely created the dogs. Um, and he creates humanity. Any, any cat lovers in here? Apologize. Oh, wow. Way more than I anticipated. You can just go. Go ahead. I'll let, I'll let you go now. Just kidding. Um, but so God creates humanity and he creates humanity in his own image. And he creates humanity and creation to live in perfect relationship. In perfect harmony, to live in peace with everything. So if you think about this, we were designed to live in, in perfect relationship with ourselves, with each other, with all of creation, and most of all with God. That's how we were intended to live in the first place, in the beginning of the story of Genesis. But God, as a loving, benevolent God, also gave us a choice. He gave us a choice to either worship God or someone or something else. And guess what we chose? Something else. And you see the effects of that decision, that we chose to live outside of what God intended to, uh, to, for it to be in the first place. And that has horrible consequences, and it's called sin. Now, are there any kids in the audience? Any little... Okay, kids, raise, keep your hands up. How many of you have ever been told by your parents to do something? Do you have... Like, hey, you've got to take out the trash. you got to clean your room. Do your homework. And then how... Keep your hands up. And then... Now, keep your hands up if this is true you. How many of you, in your, whenever in your life, at some point in your life, you didn't follow through with that or you didn't obey what they said? Any, anyone else like me here? that were, Okay, so we can all relate. Yeah, the adults can raise their hands too. I'm sure you guys will follow. We can all relate with the experience of not doing what we were supposed to do. And that had some significant implications. It had significant consequences. That's a better word to describe it. Sin entered into the story of perfection, and we were, we were separated from God because of that. And now we've heard this. The church has talked about this all the time. But I want to share with you a part of the story that I find fascinating that's a nuance of the Scripture. So go to Genesis chapter 3. So Adam and Eve are the first man and woman. They're created to live in perfect relationship with God and each other and all that stuff in creation. Um, but then they, they, they disobey God. They live outside of what he intended them to live. And this is, this, is exact, this is what happens right after they do that. Verse 7 of chapter 3. Then their eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized uh, that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings f- for themselves. So the first thing they do is they see something about themselves and they cover themselves up. They hide from themselves and then they hide from each other. And then verse eight. And I find this to be quite hilarious. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he asked, where are you? The first question asked man is, where are you? He's been asking it ever since. But the story that I find fascinating is the story of a God in the chapters before, creating everything in the universe, and then uh, humanity is made in His image, and apparently this God walks with humanity. He's walking with Adam and Eve on a regular basis. They just heard Him in the garden, and then they hide from God. And I just, I just wonder what that would look like, that God is literally walking, looking, and searching for Adam and Eve. Have you ever thought about that kind of funny part of the story i mean was god the creator of the universe looking behind bushes and trees and flipping over rocks looking for them i mean what does this story say about god what kind of story reveals a god who's searching for us seeking us out you see um, this is the beginning of a long epic story and it tells us way more about God than you think. That It tells us more about why God created, us, created humanity in the first place. And the, door, the story kind of ends in Genesis with, with just uh, the consequences breaking out all, all over the place. And it just gets really bad. Uh, but God doesn't leave us on our own. You see, Genesis chapter three three begins a story and it's called the redemptive love story of God and the entire scriptures. If you're new to the faith or if you're you've never been, been to church or you haven't heard this story, I'm summarizing this giant book. And from Genesis chapter three to the end of the book, it is one giant story of God pursuing humanity and trying to redeem and restore and reconcile what was lost when humanity said, no, I'm going to worship someone else, myself. And so we read in the stories all throughout the Old Testament. I'm not going to go into it. Actually, let's go into Exodus. Why don't we jump to Exodus? Because we all love a good Bible teaching. And we'll get to Leviticus in a second. Just hold off, okay? I know you guys are excited for that. So Exodus is another story where God, God says, hey, I'm not done with humanity yet. So he calls a people. And, and this is kind of the story of the Old Testament. If you want to summarize the Old Testament, it's this. That God decides to engage with humanity again and redeem it, to restore what was lost. And he chooses a people. His goal is this. Hey, you guys are going to represent me on earth. The goal of the Old Testament was for the, the Israelites to represent God on earth if they kept his commandments and they've, they followed through with his laws, that they would represent God in such a way that all the other nations and all the other people in the world would see how they lived and say there has to be a God. That was the point. But they don't. But what God does in Exodus, so he frees this nation of slaves and he calls them to represent him on earth, but they're not going to be left alone. Instead, he says this, he, he tells them there are a bunch of slaves that get pulled out of slavery and they're, they're in the desert. How many of us have ever been in the desert? we can say the literal desert. Yeah. How many of us have ever been in a spiritual desert? How many of us have ever experienced the loneliness and heartbreak of a loved one's death? Experienced the pain of divorce or the frustration of broken relationships. So we can talk about that type of desert. So we have a bunch of people in the desert and God says to them, um, make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Uh, Verse nine. Maybe you don't have it. I might have skipped on the verses. Verse 9 says, make this tabernacle is the word and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern. So God says, make a sanctuary. In other words, I'm going to dwell among you. I'm going to make a tabernacle. It's just another word for tent. And basically my presence is going to be with the people of God. Okay, you're with me. So God's far off in Genesis. He used to walk with humanity. Now he's far off. But then he calls the people and he creates, they create a tent and God's presence dwells with his people. And the word is tabernacle, which is a nice word for tent. God's presence goes with the people of God. In Exodus, it reveals a God who wants to take up residence in our midst. He doesn't want to just pull us out of the desert. He wants to join us in our deserts. Is that good news? Leviticus chapter 26. We'll just go through this real quick because Leviticus is such a fun book. And um, start there if you're going to read the scriptures. No, don't start there. That's a joke from the pastor. But God's saying, God talks to the Israelites. and He says, this is what I desire most. And he says, I will put my dwelling place among you. Verse 12, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. God talks about the desires of his heart. It's to walk with his people again. This is all in the Old Testament. It's fascinating. And so often we think true spirituality is us following these rules so that we can get to God or that we can go to someplace else. But the story of the Bible reveals that we are to become the kinds of people that God can come down to. That he'll do everything he can to get to us because we can never get to him on our own strength. Are you with me? It's all about, oftentimes I think too, the church does a terrible job. We say it's all about getting to heaven. Or, or, but most of the scriptures talk about God and heaven coming to us. And if our best pitch to the world and to the church is, hey, um, we're going to leave this place behind, uh, we're missing out on the story that we read in the scriptures. It's about having a life that's invaded by God's presence. The story continues. They build a temple. In the Old Testament, and it's a permanent dwelling place for God's presence. We just see that God is far off after Genesis 3, and God's trying to get closer and closer to his people. And, um, and it ends, the Old Testament ends, and God promised that he would be, his presence would dwell with his people, but it doesn't happen. Joel 2 talks about a time when his spirit would rest with everyone. And it, it, it's an empty promise. So for those of us that have never seen the connection from the old to the new, that's the connection right there. And here's where it connects in the new 400 years of silence. God doesn't do what he said he was going to do. He doesn't come and bring his presence. He doesn't dwell completely with his people. It's like the people have a spiritual exile. They're waiting and longing for God to show up until Jesus's birth. Jesus is born and everything changes. You see, Jesus comes and he's given the title, the son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, the long awaited Messiah and Savior. He is God incarnate and he comes bringing this message. And guess what his message is like? It's, it's basically this in a nutshell that you're, the way of life, the, the way that God intended your life to be in the first place back in Genesis, you have access to that now. When he says the kingdom of God has come or the kingdom of heaven has come, he's talking about what God intended us to live in peace, in joy, and rest, in shalom, with justice and forgiveness, with broken hearts mended. He offers that to us currently now. And Jesus doesn't just talk about it. He's not just some philosophical leader. He's not some preacher with some empty message. He then demonstrates this reality in the Gospels. Jesus goes around healing people, casting out demons. He forgives people's sins. People are celebrating because of this man. People are literally raised from the dead. The blind can see. The message that he has uh, is demonstrated by his life. In fact, one of the early Gospel writers, a guy named John, he uses this language to describe immediately what, what happened. In John chapter one, he says, "The word became flesh and made His dwelling among us." The word "dwelling" is the Old Testament word tabernacle. And it's the same word used in Genesis, in Exodus, in Leviticus, in 1 Kings, in Isaiah to describe God's presence coming to dwell with his people. And this time John's saying Jesus is the tabernacle. Jesus is the flesh and blood son of God, fully God, fully human that comes to be with us. The story is that God is getting closer and closer and closer. The story is that God's trying to dwell with his people. And then we talk about Christmas. And what's the significance of this this Christmas story? Well, let's read this together then in in, uh, Matthew chapter one. And this will hopefully all connect Matthew chapter one, verse 18. This is a different account of Jesus's birth. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said in one of the Old Testament prophets from the Old Testament prophets. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The story begins in Genesis. Perfect relationship with God. It's broken. God pursues humanity. We are literally walking with God and then we, we miss it. We're separated. But God doesn't give up on his people. He calls his people to represent him and then he dwells among them. And then eventually um, they build a land and they build a temple and God's presence dwells in the, uh, the temple forever. It's a permanent dwelling place. But that's not good enough for God. God wants to get closer. He wants to walk with us again. You see, Christmas is is God getting closer and closer to humanity. This is the good news of Christmas. This is why it's such good news to stand here. It's because of one simple word, Emmanuel. God with us. You see, God doesn't stand back from creation. God doesn't leave us to ourselves. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't leave us alone. Christmas is God entering back into the story of humanity. Christmas is God entering into your story if you just receive it. You see, Christmas is God's way of saying, I'm with you. I'm for you. Christmas is is God saying, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of the mess of your life, in the midst of your sin, I'm here. Where does it hurt? Christmas is God's way of saying, I know how that feels. I've been there. Christmas is God saying, I'm with you when your children don't behave. When you can't figure things out. I'm with you when your marriage is fizzling out. I'm with you when your prayers over and over are not answered. I'm with you when death comes to your door unexpectedly. I'm with you when your dreams don't come true. I'm with you when the pain from your past is too overwhelming. And when I'm with you when you're lonely and have no place to go. I'm with you when you can't afford rent or afford that diaper. I'm with you. It's Chris, Christmas is God's way of saying I'm here and I'm for you and I'm with you. It pushes back against all the false understandings of God. The God that you think is far off, that doesn't know your name, that, doesn't think he, that you don't think cares about you. Christmas is God saying he's reaching out for you. It pushes back against the God that you think is disappointed with you, who's angry with you, who's waiting for you to mess up again and condemn you and bring heaps of judgment. That's not the story of the Bible. That's not the Christian God. That's not what Christmas tells us. The Bible tells us the story of a God who does everything he can to enter back into your life. And like I said, a God who longs for you, a God who longs to comfort you when you're hurting, who wants to reconcile yourself, who wants to make you fully you and more fully alive. Brothers and sisters, the God of the Bible is a God who's kind and gentle and quick to forgive. And he wants to carry your burden because you weren't designed to carry it alone. And so may this Christmas, as you sit around the fireplace, as you go home tonight, as you celebrate with your families, may you remember the simple word, Emmanuel, a God who's with us in our everyday, ordinary life with us. Emmanuel. So as we close, as I close, we're going to bring the worship team up. I just have one question for you. As you hear this, and as you are reminded of the amazing truth of the story of God that you see weave throughout Genesis to Revelation, that is not just about an isolated story that we set up nativity scenes around, but that is, the nativity is the fulfillment of long-awaited promises of centuries of prophe- prophecies. As you sit with Emmanuel, I want to ask you this evening what God asked the first person. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you right now? For some of us, the question is where do you need God's nearness? Where do you need God with us? As we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, may we go out confident. That no matter where we are, he's here. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you. We celebrate you, that this is good news. For some of us, we have been trying so hard and we're exhausted. And Emmanuel means we don't have to try so hard. That you accept us as we are and not as we should be. That you forgive us. That you extend yourself to us. For some of us, in the pace of this hurried life, we've just missed it. And we're just being reminded that you're with us in the midst of all of the missing it. (laughs) All of the disappointments we've had. For some of us, it's just a reminder, God, that we'll keep praying because you're with us in our prayers. So, Jesus, I pray that you bless our Christmas this season. Bless our, our remembering of who you are. And while everyone's eyes are closed and we're still praying, if there's anyone here tonight that it's been a long time or you've never said, I believe Jesus is God, I want to just give you an opportunity. You can just look at me, raise your hand, um, just as a way of saying, I'm I'm back. I want to be back into this. I want to be back into this. So You want to just say, I'm here and I want to be with God. Okay. Thank you. Lord Jesus, we pray for those tonight that are making decisions to be with you. We ask that you bless them, welcome them in, and teach them that you're with them. Show them, God, in your name.
0: Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We're about ready to follow in the tradition of candle lighting as a sign of the coming light of Christ. As Pastor Darren shared, for centuries, literally, people were looking for a light. And Isaiah, it was prophesied, I will lead the blind by a road. They do not know by the paths they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light. The rough places in the level ground. These are the things I will do and I will not forsake them. Our response tonight, what we are called to do is to rejoice with those that rejoiced. When Jesus came that morning and to follow as Paul called us to in Ephesians, when he said, For you were once darkness, but now you were light in the world. Live as children of the light and find out what pleases the Lord. We'll light these candles to remember that Jesus is the light of the world and that we are then called to live as that light so that people may know of his love, respond to his spirit, and bring healing. And redemption to our world. My friends will come. And we are going to light the candles. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.